So how about those Astros? I really wanted to talk about the Huskers this morning. But I'm going to talk about the Astros. So necessary endings. We are in this series, necessary endings. Sometimes you do have to stop something to start something. And sometimes when you stop something, it may seem a little crummy. How was your past week? Did anyone have a, did anyone have something crummy happen to them last week? Wow, you guys are like, awesome. <laughs> you had an awesome week. Well, guess what? I had some crummy stuff. I did. It is so major, too. I think I had some allergies or a little cold. You guys, come on, give me a little sympathy. <laughs> Caused this headache on my day off. Man. And I was just, I wanted to get a lot done. But all I wanted to do was binge watch Netflix. Series I'd never heard of before. And sleep. It was kind of crummy. Oh, thank you. Thanks for being So what do you do when your calling starts to become crummy? In today's story, we're going to hear about a few characters where their story has an ending, a necessary ending. But there's some crumminess with it. Now, often when we think about our own weeks, we don't want to think about the crummy part. And that's good. That's actually good. That's positive attitude. That's, that's good stuff. I normally talk about those things. Keep positive attitude. Keep focused on what the Lord is doing, not what he's not doing. But sometimes the crumminess just surfaces. Sometimes it's a little thing. Sometimes it can be a really big thing. But for a necessary ending to occur, I think a lot of times there's a crumminess that's mixed in to that necessary ending. Or there's a little bit of angst because you don't want what you have to end. So as we listen to this story, let's think about our past week and go, was there something that the Lord was saying in the crumminess that perhaps he was inviting me into? Let's take a listen to the story. When Paul arrived in Corinth, he met a Jewish man named Aquila and his wife Priscilla. They were also tent makers, the same as Paul, so they decided to work together. Each week, Paul went to the synagogue and talked to the Jews. He explained to them that Jesus was the Messiah. Silas and Timothy finally rejoined him. It was soon after they arrived that the Jews rejected Paul's message. They even blasphemed the name of Christ. With that, Paul said, my conscience is clear. I told you the good news that Messiah had come. I explained how we have salvation through him. You've rejected it. Therefore, your blood is on your own heads. I'll give this message to the Gentiles. 
A few of the Jews believed in Christ, including the head of the synagogue. At the same time, a great number of Gentiles put their faith in Jesus. The Lord encouraged Paul in a dream. He said, don't be afraid, keep talking about me. No one will hurt you here because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching and preaching God's word. One day, the Jews selected a new leader who organized an attack against Paul. A mob grabbed him and took him to the judge saying, this man is making our people worship God in ways that are the opposite of our law. Before Paul could defend himself, the judge yelled at the Jews, how dare you come to me with this? I don't care about your law. I spend my day punishing criminals, not arguing over words and names. Don't waste my time. He then drove them out of the court. A mob grabbed the leader of the synagogue and beat him in front of everyone. The judge didn't even look up. When Paul thought his work in Corinth was done, he decided to go back to Antioch. Aquila and Priscilla went with him as far as Ephesus. Paul preached at the synagogue there, and the people wanted him to stay longer and teach them. But he refused, saying, If God wills, I will come back. He then left and went to Jerusalem and on to Antioch. After Paul left Ephesus, a man named Apollos came to the synagogue. He was a powerful speaker and talked openly about Jesus. Unfortunately, he only knew what John the Baptist had taught. Aquila and Priscilla took him into their home and explained the things of God more accurately. After that, Apollos became a great preacher for God and was able to take the scriptures and clearly show that Jesus was the Messiah. chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 18. We're going to be looking at a few characters within this chapter and what, how they dealt with necessary endings that occurred in their ministry. I'm starting in verse 1 and we'll read through verse 3. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. They left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. First characters we're going to look at today is Aquila and Priscilla. Now some of you may know a little bit about them, but when you jump into their story, you see there were several necessary endings. We're going to focus on just a few of them. But actually, their response was quite different than what you would expect. In about 49 A.D., so about 50 years or so after Jesus was born, Claudius Caesar said, all the Jews of Rome, you're out of here. There was no, because you committed a crime, there was nothing like that except a direct racism against the Jews. 
didn't want him in Rome. Now Priscilla and Aquila, they didn't get expelled out of Rome because they were Christians. They got expelled because they were Jews. And that is their whole life. So they learned about Jesus. This is kind of their story. Is that they learned about Jesus before they had met Paul. More than likely, they probably followed Peter to Rome after Jesus had ascended, had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. And they began their life. Their, their life. They were tent makers. They started a business. They had a home. Remember, this is before they were deported. It was 50 years after Jesus was born, about 20 or so years after he had died and risen again. They were working for the church in all aspects, trying to make something happen in Rome. This was their life. There's not a lot of historical evidence, except that there is a Roman historian who also recorded that this happened to the Jews at this same time. So the biblical evidence is pretty strong. That at this time, these people were shoved out. If you jump in the story of Aquila and Priscilla, they probably were making some pretty good money. They were in the capital city of the largest empire of the time. Think about how many tents you can make as people transverse through and in and out of the city looking for what? Tents and leather goods. That was their expertise. And in one day, because of an edict from the authority, they were told to drop everything and leave. Some of you guys are business owners. What does that look like? To drop your business and then set up shop in another city. My dad was a business owner, and I'll tell you that he actually did this, not because he was forced out, but he had to start a new business because he felt like it was time to start something new. And he just decided to move to Nebraska. And he, I think he was a little nostalgic because he was thinking he's going to be a rancher, it's going to be great. And he just moved in the late 70s, early 80s when cattle prices plummeted. He ended up having to restart the plumbing business that he had in South Dakota in Nebraska. And I'll tell you, if you don't know anything about small towns, you can live in a small town, and I bet this is true in Texas, you can move to a small town in Texas, and you can probably live there for 30 years, and you're still seen as an outsider. You have to work hard to start again. Well, this is kind of the story of Priscilla and Aquila. Now, we have a little bit of evidence that they knew who Jesus was before all this happened, because historically, they're recorded as part of the 70 disciples. So if you go to Luke chapter 10, it says the Lord now chose 72 other disciples 
and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. We cannot for certain say that Priscilla and Aquila were part of the 70. Many historians would say, yes, they were. So if we assume that they were, I think these instructions really hit their heart. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Their calling was more important than the circumstances around them. So I told you just earlier that probably after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, they would follow Peter to Rome and begin this whole process, blessing the church family, opening up their home. They're known for this throughout Scripture. Loving others, instructing others, telling people about Jesus because the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And then they're told to leave everything. Now, the crumminess for Priscilla and Aquila, and of course, this is all me just thinking, what would it be like for them? Not only did they have to leave something financially beneficial for them, but they had to leave people they loved. Sometimes we forget that there's more than one capital that we deal with. And I can bet that when they left Rome, there wasn't just a group that said, oh, let's all just go to Corneth. They may have had to travel by themselves. We don't know why they chose Corneth, but that's where they ended up. And in Corneth, they had to restart their business. In Corneth, they had to start new relationships. In Corneth, they had to start, or they got to start, a new church family. And in Corneth, they had to find a new home. Life may not have seemed very fair to Priscilla and Aquila. I mean, for some of you, maybe you can relate to this that you've had some loss, not because of something you've done, but because of decisions that other people have made. Remember, they left Rome not because they chose to, but because an edict that said, you are a Jew, you got to get out. That's why they left. Maybe you can not relate to that part, but perhaps someone's made a decision that has forced you to leave. Does anyone have something like that in their life? Where you can think back and go, wait a minute, I had, this was not my choice. Maybe words like, this isn't fair. I won't make you raise your hands, but I bet you all have said this isn't fair. Think for a second, where has life seemed unfair 
to you. What's interesting is the reaction of Priscilla and Aquila. And we don't get their full reaction. I mean, I would have loved to have more biblical evidence about Priscilla and Aquila because they seem like they seem like the iconic Oikos family. Like, I could just do sermons on Priscilla and Aquila about what we're trying to do at Oikos if there's a lot more about them, but there's only a few verses. So I can only preach a little bit, and then I have to get a whole lot of assumption evidence that it's just me trying to jump into their story and go, well, what would it be like? A business owner, opening up your home, you have to move. But they seem like cool people. But the way they reacted to this loss and moving to Corinth, the way many people react to loss and unfairness is defeat. At least I know I have. Something becomes unfair and you feel like everything's weighed against you, you can respond to it with, I'm defeated. Or revenge. We're going to get them. Oh man, I couldn't do that. Oh, there's a, there's a true evil side of me. That if you get me, I can think of some really bad things to do back to you. And then I have to be reminded by people that love me that that's not a good thing. And then I have to be reminded that I'm a pastor and I probably shouldn't do that. And maybe you have to be reminded in those circumstances, that's probably not the best thing to do. But when things are unfair, sometimes you get desperate. But I don't see this in Priscilla and Aquila. Paul doesn't talk about having to talk to them about keeping their hope in Jesus, remembering who Jesus is. In fact, what I see Paul often do with Priscilla and Aquila is he uses them as an anchor for his own life. He gives them responsibility within the church. Which is really interesting that it wasn't just Aquila. But named Priscilla as well. Husband and wife. In fact, Priscilla is given responsibilities within the church body. It's not just Aquila that talks to Apollos and instructs him to talk about Jesus correctly. Hold on, everybody. It is Priscilla, too. Do women have a place in the church? Absolutely. Paul loved them. And he would refer to them in chapter 16 of Romans. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greetings to the church that meets in their home. 
this ending, this necessary ending in Rome for Priscilla and Aquila not only propelled them, but propelled Paul to preach to the Gentiles, to increase the number of churches, to continue to broaden out the spance of the message of Jesus Christ. And what's really interesting in Romans 16 is that sometimes bitterness follows a necessary ending. You were kicked out of the city but what this says is that Priscilla and Aquila, after they had established a faith community in Corinth, after the edict expired, they returned to Rome. This is the letter to the Romans, written after this. And what do they do? They open up their house, and another church is started, more leaders are created. They just keep going. Their response to a necessary ending that includes crumminess is not defeat, it's not desperation, it's not revenge. It's love. A love for this guy named Jesus who said, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. They had something upon their heart that said, we can't just think about what's happening to us that's unfair. There's a bigger picture for us to look at. Now, that's a lot of me just jumping in. I don't know, because we don't have any historical evidence. We don't have any biblical evidence other than what's right here. But when I look at the evidence that's before me, I don't see... Two people defeated and desperate. I see two people that are anchors in the church. And not just one place. But he says, and so are all the Gentile churches. Priscilla and Aquila were not just known in Corinth and Rome. All the Gentile churches said, Priscilla, Aquila. You're awesome. And we love you too. We're going to look at another character. In this, it was pretty long. There's several characters in this, so I just chose a couple. Because I know that you guys sometimes want a shorter sermon. So I thought I'd just kind of shorten it. Not really. <laughs> Chapter 18, verses 6 through 8. But when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I'll go and preach to the Gentiles. Then he left and went to the home of Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul became believers, and were baptized. Paul's insulted and opposed simply because he meets with this guy, TJ. People don't like it. He then learns and meets about Crispus. Crispus is the leader of the synagogue. 
And because he develops a relationship with Paul, what do you think happens to Crispus? He doesn't keep his leadership in the synagogue. He is a traitor to the Jewish faith. Now you think his story would just end, and in Scripture it almost does. He is mentioned somewhere later, briefly, that he was baptized by Paul. But historically, they would say he would become the bishop in Chalcedon. So as he loses something, as a necessary ending comes in because he meets the faith in Jesus, which means that everything that he was about, leader of the synagogue, teaching people about the Jewish laws and regulations, the Jewish faith, all of that is stripped from him. So what happens when that happens? If he's receiving any financial blessing at all from being the leader of the synagogue, that's gone. His relationships, friends, right? How do friends react when they feel like you are a traitor? What does your family do? We don't see that his full family, we know that his household did. They became believers as well. But what about his aunts and uncles who didn't live in his household, who weren't a part of his oikos. I bet you guys can relate to that. If you had a family member that said, you're not a part of us anymore. Families don't do that as often now, although I still see it. Family feuds are not dead. What I see more now is you're just ignored. You're almost treated as you don't exist. Have you experienced that in a family? In your family? I think if you have, then maybe you understand a little bit what Crispus may have experienced with one decision to become a worker for the gospel of Jesus Christ, a necessary ending occurred. But in that necessary ending, his response then moves him not into oblivion, but instead into leadership of the Christian church. Now, he would later be martyred, and we celebrate that day in the church. It's called St. Crispus Day. And it's in this month, October 4th. I really doubt that Crispus, in that moment of meeting Paul and learning about Jesus, who the true Messiah was, that his sins were forgiven on the cross that Jesus died on through the blood of Jesus that was spilt, through the resurrection he was assured of new life in Jesus. I doubt that Crispus, as he's listening to all this thought, Oh, they're going to celebrate me one day. His response was faithful service. I'm sure he had fear. We would be 
liars if we said that when we have a necessary ending happen, that we experience no fear. That we experience no hurt. That we can't call that day kind of crummy. I think it's inauthentic to think that Priscilla and Aquila were told, you're a Jew, you got to get out of the city that you love. And they just were like, okay, we're going to go. I really doubt that Crispus, when he was faced with losing his leadership in the synagogue, that I bet he worked pretty hard for. Then he said, okay, sounds good. No, it's kind of crummy. But there's something better. As I started the message this morning, I said I was feeling crummy on Friday. Remember that? And you felt bad for me. Do you feel bad for me again? I mean, it is almost equal to Priscilla and Aquila. I mean, really. But I will tell you that I have had a necessary ending that has occurred where it seemed unfair. It didn't seem right. There were things that I wish I could have said, but I couldn't say. But in this, I could relate to Priscilla and Aquila. I could relate to Crispus. But then there's this whole other emotion that goes beyond the crumminess. Oh, a whole bunch of crumminess. But within that crumminess, I also had this thing of, if I get through the crummy, I think there's going to be something really good. And I think Priscilla and Aquila, I think Crispus also knew this too. This is part of what is hope within us. This is part of knowing that your father in heaven is a really good father. This is part of when you receive faith in Jesus that you go, man, he's for me, not against me. So even though my present circumstances may seem really, really crummy, I think there's something on the other side that's even better. And if I can move through the crummy into... The calling. There's going to be peace in that calling. So, and then I had a crummy day on Friday. Thank you. But there was something that was happening. Amaria had invited me. To P.E. with your parent day. Now just the day before I had gone to P.E. with your parent day with Aaliyah. Of course you're doing push-ups. You're doing sit-ups. You're playing these little games. It's actually a lot of fun because I, I didn't feel crummy the day before. But I felt crummy on Friday. And hers was a little bit later and I was like, oh. I don't want, here, you ready? Bad father. I don't want to go. Will she even notice? I know, duh. <laughs> so I decided I'm going to have to get over myself. 
I'm going to have to get over myself and just go. And whatever it's going to take to get me to get there and have a smile on my face so I'm not going, do you feel bad for me, Mario? <laughs> but I could fully participate in her PE with a parent day. And I arrived at the school, and I walk in there, and I'm thinking, why do their class periods have to be so long? <laughs> why can they be like 15-minute sections so that you're in and out? But as I walked in, I ran into a lady that I had met before. And I got to talk to her just briefly. She asked a couple questions. I asked her a couple questions. And then we started talking about faith. Started telling her a little bit about the church, who we are, what we do. I even talked about the word synod. It means we walk together, in case you didn't know. And you're all like, where's that coming from? We're part of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, so it's synod. We walk together. And I said how important that is for us to do that. And we were talking, and then I got to ask her a question about where her faith was. And she said she's a Hindu. And we talked a little bit more, and you're kind of expecting that all of a sudden she became a Christian and she's planning a church for me. She's not. <laughs> we haven't got that far yet. But then as the time went on, I got to also say goodbye and, and give her peace or give her a greeting and peace as I left. And I knew we'd see her again because she's actually been to our house. And the Lord is doing something. I know he is. But I have to be present in what he's doing. So my PE time with my daughter was good. I did all the exercises. We had fun together. And sometimes you think maybe that was a reason that I was there. It's just to talk to this lady and introduce her, maybe not for the first time, maybe reintroduce her to this man named Jesus, who's important in my life. But I think God often gives us encouragement. In fact, he gave Paul encouragement in the story today as well. In verses 9 and 11, it says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in the city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the word of God. God is so good to us. Sometimes we don't see it, because we don't receive the invitation to be with him. Sometimes we prefer to see the crummy instead of the blessing that's right there, right on the other side. Sometimes you want to just binge watch Netflix, these stupid series that have nothing to do with anything, instead of being a worker for the best boss in the world. And then sometimes he surprises you with something even more. So I got to talk to this lady, and then I went home, 
tried to do a few other little things, but I still had a headache. But then the headache went away before the kids got home. And when I saw the kids, and I saw Sarah, Sarah goes, I just need to tell you. Then Amaria came up to me, and she said, this was the best day ever. <laughs> Probably a little hyperbole, but I'll take it. Father's good. And today, as we listen for his voice, I pray that we cannot be shamed into doing the things that he wants us to do, but we can hear it as a true invitation that when we listen to him, he does good things. He did it with Priscilla and Aquila. He will do it with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've given us this time look at a short story, a couple characters. I thank you for Priscilla and Aquila, their, their obedience, their love, their generosity, their hospitality. Lord, we all could learn so much from them. That they weren't worried about what they had to take with them. They weren't worried about what their future would hold. They just knew that their future was with you. Whether they were in Corinth or they were in another area of the world, or if they got to return back to Rome, they kept doing the same things. Loving people, opening up their homes, inviting leaders in, telling the leaders about Jesus, correcting things that right, but loving the people all the way. For Crispus, who did the same thing, Lord, who would abdicate his authority and his position, so that he could believe in you. Such great examples of being able to face something that's crummy, stepping into the blessing of being with you. Lord, help us to step into that blessing each day. No matter what it is that we're facing, whether we're being rejected by those who not loved us, whether we're being Maligned by those who don't know us. Help us to see that you love us, that you're with us, that you have drawn us to you, that we are here in your hands. Let's live in faith each day. In your name we pray. Amen.